How do you avoid getting distracted with every new shiny idea when you're world building? Seth and I talk a big game about how best to retain focus in world building, but I think it's high time we laid out some practical tips and guidance. Let's talk about weeding. Welcome to the Worldcraft Hub Podcast, a show for writers, dungeon masters, and other storytellers who want to create rich, immersive worlds that will bring their audience back time and time again. I'm your host, James, and my co-host, Seth, is joining us here today to get into a nitty-gritty topic. As a brief aside, this episode was recorded with members of our Discord server, serving as audience members who posted their questions as we had this discussion. If you'd like to be involved with something like this, go ahead and join our Discord server. Link is in the show notes via Linktree. Now, we like to think of world building as gardening. We did a whole episode on this idea, which I'll go ahead and link in the show notes for you. We think this approach to world building is apt because a garden is a human-crafted space that showcases natural beauty. Gardens take something natural, beautiful, and cultivate it for human enjoyment. We feel this has parallels in world building where ideas just sort of burst out of your head in a bit of a natural way, but your world itself needs to be mastered and arranged in such a way that it is ordered and beautiful to anyone who joins it. We can see that when we craft a setting, we're trying to order it much like that garden. So, what's a weed? It's something that's growing where it shouldn't. A rose can be a weed if it's simply in the wrong place. Now, we might love roses, but if it's in the middle of a row of corn, it could be inconvenient. This was the conversation I wanted to have with Seth. I wanted to know his thoughts on limiting his settings, how he determined what didn't belong, and what he did with those weeds when he pulled them. That is a great question. And I think that you really nailed, you nailed the definition. It's a plant that's out of place. Yeah, And so in a world, that could be an idea, it could be a faction, it could be a nation, it could be a culture, it could be a piece of technology. Mm. It could be really anything that doesn't enhance the story, but takes away from it. Mm. When we talk about gardening, we really are, we're using that analogy because when you walk into a garden, the intent is that you have a certain experience. And yeah. different gardens have different experiences. Some of them are full and um, they look overgrown, though having talked to an estate gardener extensively about this, um, there nothing is ever overgrown in yeah. a proper garden, yeah. right? Because there are plants that are, are designed to look that way. Yeah. On the other hand, if if you go to, um, let's say, a French garden, typically yeah. you have these highly geometric planned spaces, right? Yeah, yeah. And they are all, they're all focused on conveying certain feelings and certain ideas to the participants, the people who walk through. And in the same way, I think that for us, if our world is a garden where we are trying to give our visitant a specific feeling, we're trying to cultivate that feeling, mm -hmm. then a weed is just any idea or any um, artifact or any object that doesn't fit that feeling. 
it doesn't convey the thing that we're trying to convey. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It it distracts. And I think it's also, there, there's kind of two uh, spectrums or spectra for distraction, right? There's the things that distract your visitant and there are things that distract you, right? Like as well, yes. like as a world builder, there are things like, I, I think um, anybody who describes themselves as a world builder is also somebody that at least at one point built a spreadsheet they were really proud of and no one was interested in, right? Like it's a, there's <laughs> like, we like analysis. There's an analytical component to people who love world building and the temptation to get carried away with that is, is just very high, especially when, you know, I think a lot of world builders approach it is, I am God in my setting and I need to expand and elaborate on it. And I need to have, you know, the, the mm -hmm. understanding of at a very granular level of my world, as well as at a macro level. But the question we have is, what are you making for your visitant? Right. So like uh, when we were discussing right. this over Polo, what, one of the things that really stuck out to me is you were like, Frank Herbert did this really well by just eradicating computers, basically. Which, like, mm -hmm. it's notable because he did this in a science fiction novel. And it's like, that's right. something, that, it's just such a weird thing to do. But it's just not what he wanted to talk about. He was concerned about ecology. That was, like, honestly, the primary of, of primary driver in Dune was that's what he wanted to talk about. And so mm -hmm. that was an example of, of a weed that got pulled from his setting. He's like, I don't want to talk yeah. about this, so I'm not going to. Right, because his story wasn't about technology yeah right it was about people and environment and so anything that distracts from people and environment the core concept of his setting the fairy cake from which everything else is extrapolated it needs to be removed it yeah. needs to be pulled aside and i think that that a lot of writers a lot of writers have a sense for this, but there's a reason that getting lost in the weeds is a common phrase. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's The idea is that, like, you can just get lost in the detail because the detail isn't actually helpful for what you're trying to, to articulate to your visitant. Hmm. Yeah. No, I really like that. We've actually, we, we've got a question in from the audience here. I think I, I was intending on opening this up a little bit later, but it leads really well into what I wanted to talk to you about. Do, do you have any tools? Uh, this is from uh, Stoic Simeon on our server. Do you have any tools to deal with those amazing ideas you want to get in as a writer? Uh, do you put it on the shelf? Do you throw it away? And if it pops up again, give it a second look. I've heard some authors don't take notes and only include those ideas that persist in their memory. That's an interesting one. An idea that sticks out. What do you do with that? I think that um, the answer to that depends on the kind of writer you are. Yeah. But at the end of the day, I favor ruthless elimination of ideas. And what I mean by that is if the idea appears in your head and you're like oh this could be really cool but it detracts from what you're trying to communicate mm -hmm. from your fairy cake from your core concept of your world get rid of it put it aside and whether you write it down or not 
And honestly, sometimes I write it down and sometimes I don't write it down. But whether you write it down or not, say, not right now, put it aside. If it comes back up, put it aside again. If it comes back up again, maybe build a different world around it. But don't allow yourself to, to be pulled in too many directions at once, right? Build the thing you're trying to build. Because a person who's building, like we talk about gardens, but in a lot of ways, when you're constructing a world, it's also like building a house, right? Mm. A person who sets out to build a house doesn't sit down with their plans, make their plans for their house, and then go half, all right, let's, you know, let's get started. And then halfway through, be like, now let's add a room over here. I'm really feeling like we could add an extra room, like, in this section. Hmm. No. They get the materials to build the house, and then they build the house that they're trying to build. Right? We don't, we don't shift course when we're building something physical. So it makes sense to me that we wouldn't shift course when we're building something. Uh, I don't know. Um, in our head, creative. Like, it makes sense to me that we would stay the course to get the result that we're trying to get. Now, I'm, I'm a huge fan of iterating, right? Because when I'm building something creative, I'm not using physical material, in my case, because I'm writing. And I'm just, and, and, and so there's no waste, right? People don't build, like people don't deviate from plans and physical buildings because that ends up with a lot of waste, right? Yeah. It ends up with a building that doesn't even work. I don't have that problem. But I do think that if I allow myself the luxury of simply building, I'm never going to actually be done. I'm never going to run out of cool ideas. I'm never going to stop thinking of things that could be added. And then eventually I don't have anything yeah. because there's so much involved. There are so many conflicting ideas. There are so many things that are not um, coherent together, even though they're cool. They're not coherent together that I don't have something that I can give to other people and invite them into and have them... And, and create for them the experience that I'm trying to create. So I'm a huge fan of being ruthless in, in saying not right now and pushing those ideas down the road. And I think that's an incredibly hard impulse to break. So like one of the big issues yeah. that I think we run into in the podcast, one of the ways that we sort of think about things is, is this podcast sort of exists in this community exists sort of at the intersection of creativity and practicality. Um, and mm -hmm. it's kind of what one of the things is like, just writing is a really important thing to get started. It's actually just creating, not creating a world for the sake of a world, though that is a completely fine pursuit. Um, it's not our aim as a group. We're aiming right. to, to make stuff. We want to make something because we think that that art has value when it is shared right among people maybe not exclusively yes. that but that is partly a like art has value to the creator but like anyway this gets into metaphysics but um we kind of have this this conviction that sharing art is 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 a 
very important element of it. Again, when Steve Jobs gets to Apple, right, they had dozens and dozens of projects they wanted to complete. And Steve Jobs was honestly, like, not a nice man, to be clear. But, like, he sort of turned up there and was just like, nope, 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 and just, like, hammered off all of their projects. And he noped enough of them that they were able to focus on the ones that mattered. What effectively, what effectively happened was he cut them down to as few projects as possible, and that enabled them to focus on what was really important. Now, all of those other ideas were winners. Like, they were good mm -hmm. ideas. Like, Steve Jobs wasn't just going in there saying, it's crap, it's crap. Well, he probably was. But the ideas themselves were brought up by some of the most brilliant entrepreneurs and, and, and thinkers of the time in, in the computing field, but they were not the idea they were going to go with. And so this is, to me, like, that's what I hear when I hear these, these crossovers and coming back to your core idea and this sort of ruthless elimination of additional ideas. Because your additional ideas that you're coming up with are probably really good, like fascinating mm -hmm. things. They might be a good grist for another book altogether, but that's not what you're writing right now. And so you need to be on what you're writing right now and thinking about what you're communicating to your, the audience of this book, not a future book. That's, so that's exactly right. There's this fear that can sometimes grip us, um, whether consciously or unconsciously, that this is the only one. This is it. There isn't another chance, right? Yeah. And that's ludicrous, all right? We have infinite creativity, and so long as you know we don't walk outside and get hit by a bus, we have we're going to have another chance tomorrow to be creative, yeah, right? And so you can write more books, you can create more settings, you can make more games, you can, you know, create more art. And so trying to pack as many things as possible into a single piece of art is totally counterproductive. Now, I will admit, I'm coming at this from the point of view of somebody who um, practices commercialized creativity, yeah. right? I, I write books for a living. And so there are certain constraints on what I do and the way I think about this that does not um, that maybe does not make sense for somebody who's not intending to be a full-time creative. At the same time, I think it's helpful to think about art in these terms, no matter how you're doing it, right? No matter what your intent is, being professional in the way that you approach this subject is probably better than being unprofessional right we like people who do this for a living do it and i say this people who create art for a living yeah typically create it in specific ways right there's there there is convention around it yeah and one of these conventions is well you're gonna have to make something else so save a good idea yeah do you ever hoard ideas where maybe they'd work in what you're writing, but you wanted to save it for something else. Yeah, absolutely. So I actually have a notebook that I keep next to where I write. 
And in this notebook, I specifically put ideas that I think have legs. Yeah. I think we can, and, and this sort of actually fits in with our garden analogy perfectly. Sometimes there are plants that look really good by themselves. They yeah. can be a centerpiece of a garden. Sometimes you have plants that don't look so great by themselves, but do a really good job of highlighting another plant, right? Mm. And ideas are the same thing. Some ideas stand on their own. Some ideas do not stand on their own. And so the, the ideas that can stand on their own should stand on their own, right? You, if you are designing a, a, a garden, we don't just sort of mash all of the cool plants together. Yeah. That's not how we, how we do it. We instead come up with themes. We come up with ideas. We, we create that experience. Yeah. So if I have, if I have, let's say I'm writing a grimdark novel, right? So grimdark fantasy. Uh, somebody was telling me about this idea. I thought it sounded pretty cool. Um, sort of post zombie war, uh, in the ruins of a sort of, um, 18th century Russian city. Yeah. And some, I, the main character is trying to like, uh, discover what's going on in the city while protecting their their sibling. And I thought, oh, that's a cool idea. So let's say I was writing that story. If I all of a sudden come up with a brilliant way for the zombies to interact with the population, I could just put it into that novel and it could be great. But let's say I've I've done that. Let's say I came up with a really clever way that the zombies engage with the population. Maybe some of the zombies aren't actually zombies. Maybe there's something else going on. Yeah. And, I've, and I've set this up. If I suddenly have another really cool idea about the zombies, yeah. I may be better off just saying, well, I've actually got this nailed down already. And rather than add confusion or add a slightly different track, if my idea is good, yeah. well, let me just save it. Yeah. Or maybe I'll use the second idea and I'll pull the first one and be like, let me keep this for something else, right? I do have stories that are literally just a collection of a bunch of ideas. And I'm, in fact, I'm writing one right now. It's a collection of a bunch of ideas that I had for other stories. Yeah. It was just like, well, they don't, they could fit in these like separately, or I could just combine them into one awesome thing. Yeah. And, and this is where the core concept test really comes in. Like, this is why, like, one of the things we started with when we were, when we were really developing our ideas about um, world building was this idea of just beginning sort of with something almost, uh, it's, it's a little bit intangible, but it helps focus things is what's the vibe of your story? What are you, what are you trying to, like, somebody plops into your setting? What are they feeling? Right? Like, how are they interacting right. with that setting? And so that is a really good test when you're looking at something and going, do I want to add this? Um, it, it gives you this sense that you can, you can, you can use it as a test 
to determine does this fit or does this not? Is this the vibe that I was going for? Because like settings can involve contrast and like a, a, you know, a beautiful bouquet of flowers is going to have contrasting colors in there, right? Like there's going to be things that like right. may sit outside the theme and they might quite happily do so. But the core concept idea is, is a test you can run where you can sort of just go, well, does this look good? You know what I mean? Does this fit in here? Does this in either a way mm -hmm. that contrasts or a way that complements what you're creating? So like it's it's a useful tool. Um, oh, interesting. So it's uh, we've got the fairy cake is that it is a patchwork world. So random works. I think that's that's an interesting. I feel like that 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 makes me think yes. of Adventure Time. Adventure Time was basically that. It was just chaos. Like except like, there you go. Except yeah. Except that Adventure Time also has absolute um, unbreakable rules. Yeah. Specifically, the relationships between the characters. Mm. Right? That world is less about the trappings of the world, and it is more about the microcosm of relationship between the people. And yeah. so what I would say is, Sure, you can totally have a rand like a patchwork world can have random. But you know what it can't have? Sameness. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Right? Well, you can't you... you can't say this is a patchwork world and then have two places that are similar. Yeah. Same patch. <laughs> yeah. Right, it's... exactly. So no matter which no matter what you do, you always come back to that same thing of what is the feeling that I'm trying to convey, right? What is the experience that I want somebody to have when they walk into my garden? And really weeding is just removing any idea, any um, artifact, any object that doesn't comply with and that feeling. Even I would even make the argument as well that like a lot of patchwork world building or world building that appears to be sort of um, have a lot of random and chaos thrown into it usually has a thread going through it. Like uh, I think about Douglas Adams work um, like Hitchhiker's yes. Guide to the Galaxy would not be renowned for having consistent world building outside of theme. I would argue it is thematically rock solid consistent. <laughs> like it's absurdism yeah. is, is a lot of it. But like. Right. Uh, th there is an undergirding theory of the case going through the whole book. So even though the world itself, you can make the argument that a lot of random stuff is going on. And I think this really harkens back to initial arguments we had about world building where we were sort of going, is this world building or is it story? And we, we were kind of like, right. mm, and we kind of just like wound up being like, there's, there, there's enough influence in each that it gets, it, it gets blurry. It gets blurry sometimes. There's they influence yeah. one another, and I believe that is that is needful. They should feed into one another as you're writing. Uh, would be my absolutely my feeling on it. Yeah. One of the interesting things about Douglas Adams, though, at least in Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, is that the towel is always a towel. The towel changes. Right. Yeah. But it's always a towel. A sofa is always a sofa. And in fact, even on a world where sofas grow natural, not sofas, I'm sorry, mattresses grow naturally in the swamps, yeah. they're still mattresses. Yeah. Right? Every, everything in the universe is given context through our lens. Yeah. 
And, and so it's, it's inter- that's an interesting world building case. That's a really interesting world building case. Maybe we should do an episode on it sometime. Well, we should, if, if we can. It would be a good to- excuse to read through. Yeah, it'd be a good excuse to throw Terry Pratchett in there as well, because like it's. Oh my goodness, I'd love cool. that. Man, rest his soul, that guy. World building disc, disc world. Was a genius. That guy was a genius. One thing you'd also discussed in this, and I think this is kind of like an, an interesting point, is while we were discussing this over Polo, uh, you, you had talked about how in some ways this is also like a bit of an advanced an advanced concept, right? Would you dive into that a little bit? Um, Because I think there's almost like a disclaimer or word of caution we would give with this advice as well. Absolutely. So the question becomes, how do I know if this is a good idea for what I'm doing or not? Mm. And that is honestly a very hard question to answer. That is not something that you're going to necessarily know without a lot of practice. How do I pick between two ideas that seem equally good? How do I determine when I've reached the limits of my world? Mm. How do I figure out what I need to pull out in order to enhance the concept? Because sometimes removing things and leaving space in a story enhances the core concept. And sometimes adding detail enhances the core concept. So how do you know how to navigate that specific set of questions. Mm -hmm. And the answer is you fail at it a lot (laughs) and you get better over time. Yeah. You practice, you, you try it and you see if it works. And if it doesn't work, you try again. Now there is a shortcut. Yeah. This is the kind of shortcut that when I tell it to people, most creatives grimace. Yeah. And that shortcut is you create a feedback loop where you get it in front of other people and you ask them their opinion and you take the feedback and you execute on the feedback, whether you like it or not. Step one is having honest friends. (laughs) Yes. Oh my goodness, yes. That is actually the the largest challenge for any creative is having people who will tell you sorry that's not actually very good i don't like that or yeah yeah that doesn't work yeah yeah um yeah i i think that is um a, another kind of plug really for writing in in community and one where you know i i would uh plug yes. our discord we have a couple of members of our discord here today with us dave and uh and stoic simeon and um it is really <laughs> dave is grimacing in the chat yeah. right now <laughs> but it's um this is this is the whole thing is like we we've created a space where um I think honestly the biggest benefit to the Worldcraft Club Discord is that I don't believe anybody there has anything to prove. And I think that may be the biggest boon in a world building or or really just any gathering of geeks and general nerdery that yes. you can have is that there, there is a, not a contest in the community where we compete. <laughs> like, you know, we try to think of ways to out nerd each other or make a more, you know, esoteric point. But I'm not seeing that really at all in our, on our server. Most folks will give you right. just plain answers to what you're looking for without trying to one up you on what you're writing. And they will give you good feedback and encouragement that is earnest yeah. as opposed to just, you know, lovey. Right. So, um, but if you yeah. can't, but I would say that that if you can't get that, if you can't get that 
iterative feedback loop of of putting your stuff out there. You know, in the business world, they they say build in public. Yeah. Right. Mm. Build what you're what you're making in front of other people because they'll tell you if it's good or bad. And being a creative really you need to do the same thing. You need to build in public. You need to create your stories in a place where other people can give you feedback because otherwise the process is so long and so excruciating. But not, not that it's not painful to put yourself out there and ask for honest feedback. That can, that can be very painful too. Like I understand that it is a sensitive soul bearing thing to create something and give it to other people and try to ask for honest feedback. But if you can't do that, you're going to just cripple yourself. You're going to cripple your ability to weed. You're going to cripple your ability to learn the advanced techniques that are going to take your world building and your storytelling to the next level. And I think Stoic has a really good comment here to close on. The projects I question the most are the ones that don't have a graveyard. Don't trust towns without graveyards or stories. Where do the bodies go? <laughs> like is the question, right? Yeah. Like at the end of the day, yep. like trim the fat. Like it's hard, but like was it kill your darlings is the uh is is one of the yes. best criticism that we can have. And we would make the same argument with world building, whether you are writing a story or running a D campaign. Is this a distraction? Right. Will it distract your players? Will it distract your readers, your audience and viewers? So I think that about closes us out with regard to the what, how, and why of weeding your setting. I'll briefly recap. A world building weed is anything that distracts your visitor or even yourself from the world you're trying to create and the story you're trying to tell. We're not saying a weed is a bad idea, just that it's in the wrong place. The way you can identify your weeds is by having a strong sense of what you're creating by beginning your project with a clear mission statement or core concept that you're working on. We talk a lot about this in prior episodes, but you can boil it down to this question. What experience do I want my audience to have as they interact with my work and does this element fit with it? Once you've identified your weed, you can pull it. Take it from the story. You might write it down in a used to later book or just scrap it altogether. Seth tends to recommend being fairly ruthless with this. Focus is key when you're writing. Better to have it out of your way and wasted than up in your peripherals when you're trying to finish something. Another tool that Seth identified was a speedy feedback loop. Having people you can trust around you who will read your work and give you that direct feedback quickly. Build in public is a great mantra for this. You'll want to make sure that what you make is exposed to criticism as quickly as it can be so you can supercharge your growing skills. I definitely recommend joining the Worldcraft Club Discord server linked in the show notes via Linktree to get into a community that's a little bit like that. So there it is. How you keep your world from getting lost in the weeds so you can get focused on what's really important. That'll about do it for this episode of the Worldcraft Club. Don't forget to review us on your favorite podcasting app. It really helps our visibility a ton, and we'd be super grateful for it. For Seth, I'm James, and this has been another episode of the Worldcraft Club podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Okay, so that's cool. Good to know.
I wonder if we if we were to pull the rug on it and we could avoid that the, like Janet Jackson incident that happened at the Super Bowl like a hundred years ago, like just in case you know. I'm like, I'd start know. taking off my shirt. I was about to say, like, if I, if any of us start taking <laughs> off our shirts, if I can just be like, no, Seth, like, don't do that. All right. Um, so this will definitely wind up in the stinger.